Awesome, guys. Well, again, happy Easter. I'm like thrilled for this morning. If you didn't know, we're a church plant. So we're like a baby infant community. And this is like our first official like Easter, Sunday morning Easter like worship gathering. We were, uh, a year ago this time, we were meeting in my house. And Mark and Cassie actually hosted, we had like an Easter brunch and we did this fun thing with the kids. And I don't know, I was just like looking around and feeling kind of nostalgic of, um, it's been a year, a little over a year, but um, for Sunday mornings, it'll be a year on May, on May 5th, May 6th is the actual date, I think. But I don't know, I'm just feeling really grateful, really thankful for the ways that God has like blessed us. Um, and I just feel like there's so much more. So I'm really excited. So happy Easter to you. Uh, so I, I, was, I was debating on whether or not to do this, but I thought I would regret it if I didn't. Um, something that the church has been doing for like hundreds of years on Easter is this simple call and response. You guys know where I'm going with this. Those of you guys are like seasoned Easter church goers, you know? So basically what it is, is it's like, and I try not to be like the, I, I try to avoid kind of cliche Christian things, probably to a fault, but this is something that I think is kind of special because there's so much beautiful tradition behind it. Um, and what it is, is basically you'd encounter someone on Easter Sunday and you'd say, he is risen. And the response would be, he is risen indeed. Okay. So I debated whether or not to do this, but I'd like to do it. So just like, it, just bear with me for just a minute. It's like a nerdy thing, tradition, but I'm going to do this with you and just like fire it back at me, okay? He is risen. He is risen. Wow. Well done, guys. That was really good. Okay, I'm going to jump right in because I don't want to spend too much time talking at you, but grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 19. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll have words up here for you, so don't sweat that. You don't have to feel like you're less of a person because you don't have your Bible. Uh, although, man, there's something special about hearing those pages flip as a preacher, okay? Smartphones just don't have the same, the same thing, but don't feel guilt about using your smartphone either, okay? The Bible's the Bible. It's the Word of God. So, John chapter 19, while you're flipping there, um, this Monday, last Monday, so almost a week ago, did you guys see the footage of Notre Dame on fire? Like, let me see your hands. Yeah, all, all of us. Like, I'm, I was with uh, Herrick and Ebony and Tracy and some of the leaders. We were kind of planning and, 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 and praying and stuff. And, um, and, and Herrick's like, dude, have you seen this? And I was like, no, I haven't. And he pulls up the, the footage on his phone. And I just got this, like, gross feeling in my stomach. Um, a couple years ago, Ebony and, I were, Ebony and I were in Paris, and we got to see Notre Dame, and it is this, it's a, a beautiful piece of architecture. It's incredible. And I'm watching this video, and I'm seeing this thing on flames, and it, like, it like bothered me more than, I, more than I would typically think if I saw just, you know, any other building on fire. Like, oh, that's, that's the shame. That's a bummer. But I'm watching this beautiful thing um, burn, and and like I said, it bothered me. And I thought, why does it bother me so much? Why does this building being on fire bother me so much? And I think it bothered me so much because it's this, it's this priceless piece of history. Like there's no other, like how do you replace that if it goes down, you know? It bothers me because of its value. And it got me thinking this week, like what actually determines value? I don't want to turn this into like a philosophy class, but... I want you to use your, your mind. Christianity is not about setting your mind aside. Um, it's not. It's about engaging your mind. <clears throat> so for you, like if you think about this question, what determines value? 
I mean, all of us, we have things that we value, right? There's things that, value, that we value a lot, things that we value a little. Like it could be, um, it could be material things. That's not necessarily bad. Uh, this week, uh, we have this little clock um, that sits on top of our mantle in our home. And Ebony, my wife, she's had this clock since before we were together. She's had it for a long time. And it fell off the mantle and shattered. And for some of you, you're like, okay, yeah, simple little clock. And that's, that's totally fine. But like it meant something to her. It was sentimental. She valued it. So some of us, we value material things. Many of us, we value the relationships in our lives. We value ideals even. But what makes something valuable? What makes something value? What determines, here's my question. What determines true value? That's what we're going to talk about this morning, okay? John chapter 19. Go ahead and flip there. You're already there, hopefully. And I just want to, before I get started, I'm going to pray for us. And I just feel really uh, compelled to confess something to you before I pray. One, because I want you to pray for me. But two, I think it's important. Um, For whatever reason in the Western church, Easter and Christmas is like, Especially for pastors, it feels like it's like there's this pressure. It's like the Super Bowl. It's like, okay, you're going to have visitors. There's going to be people here that potentially don't know Jesus. We've got to do everything we can to, to preach the gospel so that they understand how much God loves them. And yes, absolutely. And that's, a, that's not a bad thing. We want to be, be, be intentional in loving our neighbors um, and the people that God um, brings our way. But... I felt so tempted this week as I was like prepping. I felt so tempted to try to impress you. Like to try to like, to try to perform to impress you as if that there's somehow power in that. I just want to put that out there to you because one, I want to pray that each of us would encounter God through his word and that I would be able to get completely out of the way because here's the thing. If I'm trying to impress you, I'm trying to perform for you. I actually can't love you. And that's what God's created me to do, is to love him and love other people. So will you pray for me? And I'm going to pray for us, and it'll be this beautiful (laughs) unity in prayer. So Father, we come to you, um, recognizing that you came to us first. Um, Holy Spirit, we recognize that you're with us now. And my prayer is a simple one, Lord. My prayer is that I wouldn't say or do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish in any of our lives this morning the things that you want to reveal, the work that you want to do. Um, I want to serve and honor these precious people. So would you help me to do that? And would you also, would you open our hearts and our minds and our ears? Would you minimize our distractions so that we can actually receive from you? We love you very much, Jesus. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Okay, so before I jump in here to John chapter 19, I just want to kind of bring you up to speed of what's happening. For many of you, we live in Southern California. For most of you, if not all of you, the Easter story is not foreign, okay? Most of you know very much about Easter, but I'm going to bring you up to speed, okay? So Jesus, he's been betrayed. At this point, we're going to jump in here, and I'm going to start in verse 28, but before I do, Jesus, he's been betrayed by like one of his closest friends. Sorry, not one of his closest friends. One of the people closest to him has betrayed him kind of radically, okay? He's been captured at this point already. He's been captured by the Jewish authorities. And these Jewish authorities, in the middle of the night, they try him illegally, okay? And then what they do is they sentence him, ultimately they sentence him to death, okay? Sentence to death, and not just like any execution, but like crucifixion. You guys know this, nailed to a cross, like 
Most scholars think it's probably the most brutal way a human being can die, like the act of dying. Um, I think about crucifixion. I think about like maybe even burning alive as these just gnarly things, both of which um, Christians are known for dying those ways in the early church. But either way, Jesus, he gets sentenced to death by crucifixion. And, and before they take him to be crucified, he's flogged. Okay, many of you know what flogging is. It's basically being whipped, but it's like a specific kind of whip. So you can imagine it's like a handle, right? At the end of that handle, there's kind of multiple uh, strips of leather, like whips. And at the end of those strips, there's metal and hooks. And what they would do is they, they, they'd whip someone on their back and the, the metal and the hooks, it would stick into their flesh and then they'd yank it out, right? So it's just, it's pretty gnarly. Most people honestly would die from flogging. They wouldn't even make it um, to crucifixion. So at this point, Jesus, he's, all that stuff, he's been flogged dozens of times. His flesh is open and stuff. And then, you know, the story, he gets, he gets nailed to the cross. And then they prop him up on that cross and he hangs there until he dies. We're going to pick up here in John chapter 19, verse 28. And this is right before Jesus dies. So you have a picture, all that's happened in the last kind of 12 to 24 hours. It's been pretty gnarly. He's been hanging on the cross. Let's pick up here. John chapter 20. I'm sorry, John chapter 19, verse 28. I'm going to read through verse 30. After this, you know what the this is. When Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed the sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Okay, so this morning, I'm just going to talk to you about two things. So if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. And you can use your smartphone if you want. I won't judge you. Two things. The first is this. We're going to talk about that simple phrase, it is finished. Okay, he's not talking about the sour wine being finished. He's talking about something else. Okay, it is finished. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about why Easter matters. Okay, very simple. It is finished, that simple phrase. Let's jump into that. Um, I want to talk first about the it, okay? The it and it is finished. Now, many of you are familiar with Christianity. You know the Bible teaches that God, all, the creator of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, God of everything, that he took on flesh, that he became a man in the person of Jesus. That's, that's, that's the incarnation. That's, that's Christmas, right? God comes to earth. He becomes a man. That's Christmas, the incarnation. Um, have you guys ever like, uh, I've used this before, but have you, have you ever uh, maybe walked, uh, walked into a house or a room or a space or a classroom or a workplace and you notice someone and it makes you uncomfortable because you know that person doesn't like you? Do you know that feeling? Am I the only person that has people that don't like them? <laughs> I guess so. Uh, are you with me though? Like, you know that feeling where you're like, I've been trying to either avoid someone or like, I, we don't really get along. There's conflict of some sort. They don't like me. Do you, you know what I mean? You ever had that feeling? You walk in, you notice them, you're like, ugh, uncomfortable. Or at the very least, like, this makes me feel weird. Imagine walking into like, like, if you, like a house party, Easter. Many of us today, we're going to have, have a meal with our family, meal with friends even, Imagine like walking into a house party or a barbecue or something. You walk in and there's, you know, 30 people there and all 30 people don't like you and they're not stoked on you. And they actually kind of, you know, they reject you. 
what you stand for, who you are. Just imagine that feeling with me for just a second. This is important. Like, how that feel? Gross, uncomfortable, weird. Imagine coming into a planet where every person rejects you. That's Jesus' story. That's Christmas. Comes into a planet full of people who go, hey, maybe good teaching, but like, I like being the Lord of my life. Yeah, Lord over heaven and earth, creator of all things, that's fine, but like, I'm the Lord of my life. I do things my way. I know better the rejection of God and his ways. Think about that for a second. Because if you, one of the things I'm going to try to do for us this morning is not try to separate Jesus' divinity and his humanity. When I say divinity, I mean his God-likeness. Like, he felt feelings and emotions. He experienced the pain on the cross. It wasn't like, I'm God, so this is all numb. Like, there's a reality of fully God, fully man that I'll get to in a little bit. But like, imagine what that would feel like. Why would anybody do that? If I knew you were throwing a party and you invited me over and I happened to know that all 30 people there or 50 people there or whatever, they all hated me and rejected me and didn't want anything to do with me, maybe they said with their mouth but with their actions, no, I wouldn't come to your party <laughs> personally. But think about this. Why would anybody do something like that? Jesus did and he did it for a mission. Um, we're going to talk about that, the mission. This, uh, this quarter for me has been kind of a, a hectic quarter. The first, half, the first quarter of the year, I've done more traveling um, this quarter than I, than I like to. I really miss being with the church, and so it's been difficult. And one of the things uh, that I've got caught up on in all this traveling is I've seen every single movie on the airplane. Like, like so I, it's been hectic, but this last trip to London... The way there, I remember thinking, I'm not even going to look at the library. I don't go to the movies often. I, I tend to try to read more books than I watch anything. If I watch something, maybe it's a documentary. I'm not a big TV guy. I don't have really time to go to the movies, although I, I love film. But I remember thinking, I'm not even going to scroll through the library because I've spent like 60 hours on airplanes in the last month or something, and I'm, there's nothing left for me to see. I've seen it all, you know? And if you've been on these transatlantic flights, you know that like uh, they have the little you know, screen in the seat back in front of you. And sometimes there's like even movies that are still in the theaters. You guys, There's like movies that are still in the theaters and you're like, this is cool. I like this. This is enjoyable. I had used up all the movies I could ever watch, but I had this feeling. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll check and see if something new's been av- made available. So I'm scrolling through the, the screen thing and this movie pops up. It's called Free Solo. Have you guys seen this? Raise your hand if you've seen this. Please raise it high. Participate with me this morning. Okay, so maybe 10% of the room, 20% of the room has seen Free Solo. I don't want to exaggerate. It's one of the gnarliest things I've ever seen in my life, okay? I do, I'm kind of a documentary nerd. If I'm going to watch something on TV, it's a documentary. This is a documentary about this rock climber. This guy, young guy, his name's uh, Alex Honnold, okay? So what Alex does is he rock climbs without ropes, I'm going to say that again, okay? He rock climbs without ropes. And not like in a gym where there's pad on the floor, like on a mountain where there's nothing, like the wind can blow you off the mountain. Like, so this guy, he rock climbs with no ropes. It's insane. So the documentary is all about this thing, or he has this mission, right? This documentary is all about his mission to climb the most dangerous mountain on earth. And it's something that's never been done before. 
So he has this crazy mission. Something that's never been done before to climb the most dangerous mountain on earth. You ever been to Yosemite? Anybody? El Capitan. So he has this mission. He's going to climb El Capitan with no ropes. Free solo is what they call it. He's not the only guy who does this. It's kind of like a, a small fraternity of climbers that free solo climb without ropes. And so, okay, I'll jump into this in a second. But like, I watched this on the plane. I even knew how it ended already. Um, and I'm, and I don't want to ruin it for you because he's still alive. You could, he's still alive, so you know what happens. It like affected me. I was, and I was so jet lagged too. I think it was probably like three in the morning, and I'm watching this. I'm riveted, and my heart's racing. I just want to be able to give you a visual, and then I'll jump back in. But I'll ask the guys to play the preview for you. I just want you to watch this quickly. I'll try to get out of the way so that everyone can see. It's like two minutes. Check this out, okay? Does it feel different to be up there without a rope? It's obviously like much higher consequence. People who know a little bit about climbing, they're like, oh, he's totally safe. And then people who really know exactly what he's doing are freaked out. I've thought about El Cap like for years and every year I'm like, that's really scary. I'll never be content unless I at least put in the effort. El Cap is the most impressive wall on earth. It's 3,200 feet of sheer granite. It's the center of the rock climbing universe. Obviously I get interview questions about it all the time. Oh, would you like to do that? And you're like, yes, for sure. So your girlfriend now, I heard. It was awesome. <laughs> Pretty much makes life better in every way. It's really hard for me to grasp why he wants this. But if he doesn't do this stuff, he'd regret it. Everybody who has made free soloing a big part of their life is dead now. I haven't been injured in like seven years. I suddenly start getting injured all the time. What if something happens? Oh. What if I don't see him again? I could just walk away, but it's like, I don't want to. I've always been conflicted about shooting a film about free soloing just because it's so dangerous. It's hard to not imagine your friend falling through the frame to his death. I think when he's free soloing, that's why he feels the most alive, most everything. How can you even think about taking it away from somebody? No mistakes tomorrow. It's starting to get kind of fight. If you're pushing the edge, eventually you find the edge. I can't believe you guys are actually been watching. Hey, Jimmy, do you copy? Just started climbing. I watched that on an airplane. <laughs> guys. I'm, my palms are sweating. I've seen the preview. I've seen the movie. So this guy, Alex, right? This crazy mission. And here's the thing about his mission. His mission required like flawless, uh, a flawless performance. Like every line, 
And by line, you know, the, 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 the route he's going to take up the rock, every line has to be perfect. Every hold, every grab, perfect. There's no margin for error here. No ropes, like even the slightest imperfection results in death. Think about that. Like, that's so intense to me. The pressure. Ooh. The reason I show you this is because this is a living picture of religion. It's a living picture of religion. You see, every religion essentially gives instructions on how to make yourself right with God. You and God are cool. That's the goal of every religion, okay? And they tell you what you need to do to get to the top of that mountain. God's up here, you're down here. How do you get to the top? You tracking with me? This imagery, okay, great. Tells you the do's and the don'ts. Pray. Sometimes in even religious Christian circles, you gotta pray, you gotta read your Bible, you gotta do these things. And the don'ts, you know, don't, what is the classic saying? Um, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with people who do. All that, like, so the do, you guys track me down, this is silly, but the do's and the don'ts, that's essentially, that's religion. And here's the thing, if you perform well enough, if you're a quote-unquote good person, if you do more good things essentially than bad things, you'll reach the summit. So for some, it's heaven, right? You, if, you, if you're a quote-unquote good person, whatever that means, you, you're, you're, you do more good than bad, you'll reach the summit, heaven, um, nirvana, enlightenment, a, a, a plethora of other things. The reason I bring that up to you is because Christianity is completely different. It's actually the opposite of that. Um, Christianity says that God, the creator of all things, is absolutely perfect, This is a review for many of you. I know that, but you need to hear it this morning. Christianity says God is perfect and he created you and I to be in perfect relationship with him and with other people, with each other, okay? But somewhere along the line, stay with me, somewhere along the line, all of us, somewhere along the climb, we slip, There's this mistake that's made. I have probably a trillion of them in my life. For me, it's a daily thing. I don't know about you. I'm an imperfect person. The Bible calls these slip-ups, these mistakes. The Bible calls them sin, okay? And if you've ever studied, like, original language in the Bible, you know the Bible was translated into English, right? If you ever study original language, the word sin, what it really kind of means is to miss the mark, And the truth is, everybody in the room, myself included, we've missed the mark many times, if we're honest, okay? And this idea of sin, I think it can be kind of ambiguous. It's basically when you do things your way and not God's way, okay? If he's the authority, if he's the creator, if if, if he knows all things and created all things, he knows how they ought to operate in a way that's best for them and best for the other things that he's created. Does that make sense? Yeah, so if God's the authority, it makes sense. And sin is basically when you do things your way instead of God's way. And just like that imagery, the mistakes that we make, the slip-ups, it it shows us our trajectory (laughs) down to the ground where the impact awaits, you know? And listen to me. Hear me say this. I'll say it this way. Here's what makes Jesus' mission, his it, talking about the it, and it is finished. Here's what makes his mission so incredibly 
beautiful. Let me read you Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is the words of Jesus. He says, don't think that I came, came, mission, that it is finished, it is his mission. Why did he come, mission, right? Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So listen, Jesus' mission, the it, was to climb an even more impossible mountain, the mountain that you and I never could climb. So when it says, fulfill the law, this is what it's getting at. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Just like that guy, Alex's mission, Jesus' mission would require perfection. Absolute perfection. He would be perfectly obedient to God the Father. To fulfill what? The law. God's law. He's obeying the law. We're all not in prison right now because we obeyed the law to a certain degree in the country that we live in or the state that we live in. So Jesus obeys God's law perfectly. That's part of his mission. Why? It says that he came to fulfill the law. Are you tracking with me? Yes? Let me hear you. Great. Okay. That's the first piece. He says he came to fulfill the law. The second piece, he came to fulfill the prophets, he says. I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill them. Fulfill the prophets. So your calendar that you live in right now, it's based on Jesus, whether you like it or not. He's the center of human history. Um, So everything prior to Jesus... The Bible would be the Old Testament, right? So you have the Old Testament prior to Jesus' arrival. And in that Old Testament, there are over 400 prophecies, predictions, about what the Messiah, Messiah means Savior. Um, So you've heard like Jesus Christ, right? Christ is not his last name. Christ means Savior. It means Messiah. Same kind of thing. So you have Jesus, center of history, everything prior to the Old Testament, 400, over 400 prophecies about what that Messiah, what that Savior, what that Christ would look like and what he would do. Jesus came to fulfill every single one of those. And he did. So fulfill the law, perfect obedience, and fulfill the prophets. Fulfill every single prediction about what the coming Messiah would do. And those 400 prophecies, track with me here, those 400 prophecies, most of them pointed to two things. That he would live the perfect life, remember, obey perfectly, no mistakes, no sin, no slip-ups. And not just that he would live the perfect life, but he would die a death. And not like a normal death of like old age, but like an execution. But there's more to it. Let me read you Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says this. Again, this is Jesus' own words. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the it, stay with me, the it and it is finished, his mission was to give his life as a ransom for many. His it, his mission was to be your substitute. It was a substitutionary mission to live the perfect life in your place, to climb the mountain perfectly because you can't, to die the death that you deserve for rejecting God and his ways. So his mission was to climb the mountain in your place and to absorb the fall that we all deserve for the ways that we don't climb the mountain properly. That's the it. That's his mission. And I want you to consider something for just a second. I want you to consider what was at stake. I want you to consider what was at stake, of, like what was at stake with Jesus' mission. 
I talked about it earlier, but the Bible says that Jesus, fully God, fully man. There's this, there's this mysterious blend of divinity and humanity. Um, Philippians talks about how God, he puts on flesh, right? But he emptied himself. He became a man. It means he, he, he's not no less fully God, but he takes on human limitations. You guys have heard me talk about this quite a bit if you've been journeying with us because it's a huge part uh, of our theology. So fully God, fully man, okay? <clears throat> and it says that Jesus was tempted. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every single way, okay? Think about your life. Think about the ways that you're tempted, Stay with me. I know some of you guys are tired. Think about the ways that you're tempted to do things that you think aren't going to be good for others, but it feels good for you potentially. Jesus was tempted in every single way. And the Bible says that he didn't sin. He didn't give in to the temptation. To be tempted is not sinful. It does not like, uh, <laughs> it does not result in you losing your grip on the mountain and falling off. Is that Jesus was tempted in every way, but he didn't sin. He performed perfectly in the midst of every temptation. So, the reason I say that is consider for a moment what happens if Jesus gives in to temptation. Just one time, like one little slip, like a fib. What happens? I want to read you this quote. Um, from this theologian, R.C. Sproul, he says this, quote, the best theologians past and present have divided, or I'm sorry, have been divided on the question of whether Jesus could have sinned. So like, can, could Jesus have even sinned? I mean, he was God and man, like where's the, di- I believe that since Jesus was fully human, it was possible for him to sin. Obviously, the divine nature cannot sin, But if Christ's divine nature prevented him from sinning, in what sense did he obey the law of God as the second Adam? At his birth, Jesus' human nature was exactly the same as Adam's before the fall, with respect to his moral capabilities. Adam sinned, Jesus did not. Satan did everything in his power to corrupt Jesus and tempt him to sin. That would, have been an, that would have been an exercise in futility had he been trying to tempt the divine person to sin. Satan was not trying to get God to sin. He was trying to get the human nature of Christ, that's Jesus, to sin so that he would not be qualified to be the Savior. I think it is wrong to believe that Christ's divine nature made it impossible for his human nature to sin. If that were the case, the temptation, the tests, and the assuming of the responsibility of the first Adam would have all been charades. Jesus could have sinned. So I showed you the video of Alex, the gnarly free solo climber, right? That dude risked his life for his mission to climb El Capitan. That's spectacular. That's bold. There's courage involved there. I guarantee you when he's up on that mountain, there's a little bit of fear going on, like I could fall. He risked his life. Consider what was at stake with Jesus' mission. What happens if the God-man sins even one time? Not only does he, Jesus, die a forever death, not a temporary one, a forever death. Not only does he die a forever death, but so does all of mankind. 
I don't have time to get into the doctrine of the Trinity, but think about the ramifications of God sinning. Like, God's no longer God. Friends, what I want you to see is that Jesus risked everything for his mission. He put it all on the line. And the moment before he dies, it's beautiful, he says, it, the mission, is finished. It's accomplished. How many parents in the room? A lot of us. Um, I have two daughters, and I was present at both of their births, and they were, it, was, it was a magical time. But I can still vividly remember the first, like my eldest daughter's uh, birth story. Ebony was in labor for 32 hours, right? Which is just insane. Uh, and I remember there was this one time where like, I was just so proud of her. She was such a champ. Like, oh my gosh. They put up this monitor that has like the, the line graph on it. And it, what it's doing is it's basically graph, it's like showing you how intense the contractions are. So it's essentially a pain monitor. <laughs> and I'm watching, I'm watching this monitor and I can see in real time the contraction happening, and I look over at my wife, and she's like, like, she's the intense breath, you know? They gave her one of those, like, medicine balls to sit on, you know, and she's, like, trying, trying to, like, just get through these contractions, man. Like, it was intense. If you've ever been in the room, you know it's crazy. Um, But here's the thing about giving birth. Mom does all the work. Dad, you know what my only contribution was? You know where I'm going with this. My only contribution was fertilization. That's it. So the act of giving birth, it's all mom. Zero percent dad, okay? Zero percent dad. In a sense, you could argue I put her there. And I contributed nothing. Friends, when Jesus says it is finished, he's saying that his mission is accomplished. It's completed. He did all the work. And our only contribution was putting him there. Let me read you the most famous passage in the New Testament. John 3.16. You've heard this before. For God's love the world, right? I think the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, I've been an advocate for this recently. I think the CSB gets it right. It's translated, you know, for God so loved the world. It can be kind of confusing because um, people think it means God loved the world so much that he did this. But what the, tra- what, like the original language says, here, let me just read it to you in the CSB. For God loved the world in this way, in this manner. This is how he loves. You're tracking with this idea. For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, when it says believes there, that that word, don't think acknowledge to be true. That's not what it means. It means trust, solely trust in this, okay? So that everyone who trusts in him, basically trusts in God's climbing, Jesus's climbing up the mountain, his performance, not mine, right? Everyone who trusts in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then verse 17 usually gets left out, but I think it's arguably just as important. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world. There's the mission. And I want you to see how collaborative the mission is. The it and it is finished. 
It's not like Jesus did this and is like, okay, God the Father, like, I did this, so you got to love him now. Like, no, no, this is a collaborative effort. It's a rescue mission, right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but what? What does it say? To save the world through him. Through him. Through his perfect performance. Through his climbing. Through his striving. Through his obedience. Friends, Christianity is built on a gospel. Gospel literally means good, joyful news. It's information. That means it's not advice. It's information about what has been done, that the work has been done, it's finished, it's completed. So what does that mean? That means there's absolutely no place for comparison. How tempted are we as people to compare ourselves to others, man? Oh, I hate it. It's like, it's this reality of like, I love using the, the, the rock climbing, free soloing imagery. It's like, all of us have made mistakes, right? Raise your hand if you haven't made a mistake in your life. Is there any holy people, like perfectly holy people? Okay, cool, we're all in the same boat then, right? So it's like, we all have slipped up on climbing the mountain and what happens when you slip off the mountain with no ropes? You fall, so you have a certain trajectory, right? You're, you're, you're going somewhere. And all of us are like people falling and we're comparing ourselves to like, I fall more graciously than Harrison does. Like I'm, you know, he's cannonballing and I'm like, like doing a cool pose. Like I don't sin that way. At least I don't do that. Like I didn't murder anybody. But I had bitterness and hatred in my heart. So at a heart level, I literally, just because honestly, maybe I don't have the courage to use my hands. But I've murdered people in my heart. Did you know that God cares way more about why you do what you do than what you do? Because you can do, quote unquote, good things with disgusting heart motives. I could have fed the homeless this week so that I could get up here and tell you that I fed the homeless. Who was that for? Was it for the homeless man who needed food or was it for me? It's gross. We pretend like we don't live this way. And we do that by walking in darkness, but people don't know us. They don't let them in on what's really going on in here. But God sees all things because he, he created us. So when we talk about this idea that, that the gospel is, is news, it's information about what's happened, and what's happened is it is finished. The mission has been accomplished. That means there's no place for a comparison, guys. It is finished means we contribute nothing. Finished. That word finished is really important. The work's done. We contributed nothing. And here's why that's beautiful. Because it means that God's offer, those who trust in him, it means that his offer is based solely and entirely on grace. And grace is the most powerful thing in the entire universe. It's based solely on grace. You cannot earn it. You cannot add to it because it's finished. You don't get it because you're falling better than somebody else or less quickly or more impressively. It's 100% grace. Hear me say this. That means it's undeserved. You receive something you didn't earn. You want to freak somebody out? Like take them out to lunch? Buy for, like pay for their lunch and see what they say. Nine people out of 10 will go, I'll get you next time. Like, 
No, no, you don't have to do that. Let me, let me pay. Because we have a really hard time receiving things that we, don't, that we think we don't deserve. We want to earn it. We're taught, like literally, like you, school, sports, uh, uh, employment, business, earn it, baby, work. <laughs> this is why the gospel offends so many people. Because like, it's, it's something you couldn't do given to you. And what does that show? I'm not as big of a deal as I thought I was. But it's also beautiful. It's also beautiful. And here's another thing, really quickly. I'm, gonna, I'm almost done. Because it's news, because it's information about what has been done, you either accept the news to be true or you reject it. It's not like an in-between thing. To have no response or to be apathetic is in and of itself a response. When I got the news about Notre Dame, I was like, I either accepted it to be true or I didn't. Even to be apathetic, that's a response to information. Are you tracking with me? It's news. So my last point, why does Easter even matter? Most of us know the story in the room. Why does it even matter? We talked about sin means missing the mark, right? Uh, Imagine with me for a second, stay with me. Imagine you're in a room, okay? You're in a room and you are given a dart and there's a dartboard, you're gonna play darts. And you have the dartboard, but the dartboard isn't the entire board, it's just the bullseye. So what, like the size of a quarter maybe? That's the size of a dartboard bullseye? So you have this bullseye, it's out in front of you, I don't know, 30 feet, something, whatever, 20 feet, and you have that bullseye, and that's labeled eternal life. And everything else in the room, the carpet, the floors, the, the ceilings, the walls, everything else is labeled death. Okay, what is the perfect dart throw headed towards? Like if you, did the, if you did the perfect throw, what's the trajectory of that dart? Come on. Yeah, eternal life. So the perfect dart throw, the trajectory is eternal life. What about the slightest imperfection? What's the trajectory? Where is it, where is it, where is it going? Death, absolutely, okay? Sin, it means miss the mark. So the Bible teaches the trajectory of our sin leads to death. It's happened, so the trajectory is headed somewhere, okay? And the truth is, we talk about this, all of us miss the mark all the time, okay? I'm probably way worse than you. I got in a fight with my wife this week, like two days ago. It was one for the books. I need Jesus' grace just as much as anybody else in the room. The trajectory of doing things my way and not God's way, it's imperfect, right? I made mistakes. The trajectory is death. And consider this for a second. If, you're, if what you're heading towards is death, that's not living. That's expiring. Guys, do you know what Easter means? Easter's a change of trajectory, man. Easter's a change of trajectory. The resurrection, that's what Easter's all about. It's a change of trajectory. The resurrection, this is not like rocket science. The resurrection means that Jesus is not dead. It means he's alive. It means his trajectory, listen to me. It means that Jesus' trajectory did not end in death. 
Do you know what that means? That means he really was perfect. And do you know what a perfect substitute means for someone whose trajectory is death, like me? What a perfect substitute means for someone whose trajectory is death. Listen to me very carefully. It means if you receive it, if you trust it to be true, your trajectory changes. It's kind of like, it's kind of like if God wrote a check. You've heard this analogy before if you've been in the church. It's like if God wrote a check to handle the debt, the payment, um, the punishment of all of your sins, but he's going to pay it off. That number is going to be, you know, just what's, what's, what's higher than a trillion? Like a gazillion? Like just gazillions and gazillions of dollars. It's like he writes that check. If you've ever got a big check, you're like, this, is this thing going to like actually cash? Like there's a lot of money. Like where's this money going to come from? It's like he wrote the check and it actually cleared. That's the resurrection. It proves Jesus really was perfect because his trajectory was not towards death. He's still alive. Are you tracking with this logic? And that's what makes the gospel so beautiful is it's a perfect substitute. The resurrection means that it, and it is finished, Jesus' mission to be your substitute, to climb perfectly in your place, absorb the fall that you deserve, the resurrection means it actually worked. It's not just a story. It's not just a fable. Um, early this morning... Let me say this. So my first visit to the Middle East, um, actually, no, my second visit to the Middle East, Ebony was with me on this trip. And we met, uh, on this trip, we met this man named David. Um, I'll tell you his story another time. Incredible, gnarly dude. God saved him out of, like, the Sri Lankan Civil War. He was, like, just, to be honest, like, murdering a bunch of people. God has, he has this miraculous encounter with Jesus. Life changed. Long story short, he is... um, he leads a church in, in Sri Lanka. It's beautiful. I don't know if you saw the news this morning. I got, I got word early this morning um, that there was, there was like a bunch of bombings that happened on Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka. And over 200 people were killed. And I found out that um, 10 of David's people in his church died on Easter Sunday. We're safe here in our middle school auditorium and their Easter gathering, and 10 people aren't going to go home. Friends, Easter matters. Romans 6 tells us that all who trust in Jesus, we share in his resurrection. That means we get to experience the same trajectory that he experienced not because we climb better or fall better than anybody else, but because he was the perfect substitute in our place. Easter means, it gives me comfort. Something like what happened to my friends in Sri Lanka. Why? But no matter how terrible it is, no matter how evil it is, Easter means that it's not the end for any of those Christians. Dare I say, it's an upgrade. Because I don't know if you know this, but God's in the process of redeeming all things, of ushering in his kingdom. Do you know what his kingdom is like? There's no pain. 
There's no suffering. There's no suicide bombings. There's no cancer. No, there's life the way it's supposed to be. There's no death. Guys, death is terrible. It's, it's wrong. Ask anybody, hey, do you think death's wrong? And they go, yeah, this is awful. One more thing, too. Um, no, I'll leave that. Uh, I'm going to call the band up. I'll close with this. You guys can come on up. So what I want you to do is I want you to just consider one more thing, okay? I want you to consider one more thing. I want you to consider God, the Son, right? The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God made up of three persons. So God essentially is a community of people. One God, and that's a mystery, one God, three persons. You have God the Son. God the Son puts on flesh in Jesus, right? Becomes a man, fully God, fully man. You're tracking with me. So consider God the Son. He's in heaven for all of eternity. And remember, we talked about the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is, there's no death, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's nothing wrong. Everything's the way it's supposed to be that we intrinsically know. Like there's perfect love. Like there's no poverty. There's no racism. There's no greed. It's just beautiful and perfect and everything's the way it should be. So God the Son is in heaven for all of eternity, okay? Not only is everything perfect, but he has an army of angels. And do you know what they're doing? They're just worshiping him. They're, for all of eternity, they're basically declaring how amazing it is. You ever got like a birthday card where someone's really thoughtful and they tell you something nice about yourself and it makes you feel a little alive? Like, oh man, like that's really kind and thoughtful. You ever have moments where someone affirms you and it feels good? Some of you actually really need that. You really need that and people don't know you well enough to actually be able to affirm the beauty inside of you because you're hiding. But track with me. Imagine angels, an army of angels, and all they're doing is telling Jesus how amazing he is. They're worshiping him because he's glorious. He's perfectly loving. So he has all these angels worshiping in, in the most perfect environment you could ever think of. And he, has, he also has the perfect glorifying love of God the Father and God the Spirit. So that's the Trinity. And the cool thing about the Trinity is it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's, it's a non-self-focused love. So, so here's what I mean by that. You have God the Father who's going, God the Son, you're amazing. Holy Spirit, you're amazing. Gl- it's glorifying the other two persons. So God is a self-glorifying God, but every person in God, every person in the Trinity is glorifying the other two. You follow this logic. So Jesus is in that environment, fully satisfied, man. Like what else, what, what doesn't he have? He's got everything. Like here's my question. Why leave that? Why leave that? Why come to earth? Why subject himself to such pain and suffering and torture? The dude got betrayed by his close friends, the people closest to him. Some of you know that sting of when somebody close to you like stabs you in the back when they betray you, whether it's family or friends. You know that feeling, it's awful. He comes to experience that. 
Like, they, like people mocked him. They beat him within an inch of his life. They spit on him. You guys know these stories. Like the crown of thorns. I was watching this documentary recently and the nerves in your head, the thorns, they would have gone in his skull. People would die from that. The pain would be so excruciating. They would die from shock. That doesn't sound great. I've always read the crown of thorns like, oh, that sucks. He got cuts on his head. People died from that kind of stuff. It was that intense. And I don't know why this one gets me, but they ripped his beard out of his face. Obviously the cross, they nailed him to wood. I love that in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. leave the glory and the perfection of heaven why did he do it what didn't he have this is a review for some of you but you need to hear it Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 listen to this very carefully friends therefore since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. That's your life, okay? Verse two, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source, the source and perfecter of our faith. Here it is, listen to this. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. Why did he leave to go to the cross? It is finished, he went for his mission, he accomplished it. It says that he endured the cross for the joy that lay before him. What's the joy? The joy is you. This changed my life. The joy is you. Not the other people in the room, although it is for them. The joy is you. Friends, the gospel is the greatest love story in the history of the world. Every movie you've ever seen, every book you've ever read is loosely based on this story. And the reason they're so effective in drawing people in and their attention is because it's a story written on your heart. It's a story written on my heart. And Easter is the climax of the story. So I asked you in the very beginning, what makes something valuable? See that stock market app on your phone? People can like track the value of their portfolio in like real time. I have a couple friends who do that. I'm a church planner, so retirement for me is like a, an imaginary thing. But either way, I'm, some of you are unclear on your value. Some of you are very unclear on your value. And the reason you're unclear of your value is because of what you look to. Some of you guys, you're looking to like, you're looking to the way you look, your physical appearance to bring you value. And it either does and you're stoked on it and you find value in it or it doesn't and you don't. Some of you, you're not, maybe it's not physical appearance. Maybe it's your talent or your skills, the things that you're good at. This is what makes me valuable. 
Lord, this is what makes me not valuable. Or maybe it's your reputation. What makes you valuable is that people think highly of you. Or what makes you not valuable is that people don't think highly of you. You want to know what Easter says about your value? The all-powerful God of the universe would risk everything for the joy that lay before him. What's the joy? I hope many of you in your heart right now are saying me. And not me as in Tom, but me as in you. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus if you're a Christian. Enjoy that, man. Drink deeply of that. So, do you know your true value? And more importantly, do you know where it comes from? Because the cross, Easter, the cross, the cross is like that stock market app. At any time, you can look to it, and when you want to know your value, look to the cross. The resurrection is proof it's true. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for us. I'm going to listen for just a bit, see what God wants to do. What time is it? Okay. I'm going to listen for just a bit, and then I'm going to pray for us. sound really silly. I just saw a picture. You know like when you're in third grade and you have a crush on someone in your elementary school and you pass them a note? What does that note say? It says, I like you. Do you like me? And then it has two words. It says yes or no and it says circle one. I know that's ridiculous. (laughs) God's passing you a love letter, man. What's your response? Let me pray. Father in heaven, you're so glorious and poetic and romantic and wonderful. Holy Spirit, I pray that every single man, woman, and child would understand the reality of their worth and that you determine it and that when they question it, they have Easter, they have the resurrection proof, the the check cleared. Like you really were the perfect one with the trajectory towards life. You were the imperfect ones with the trajectory towards death. And you and your love and in your grace, you've given us such undeserved favor. You extend that love letter to us and go, hey, circle one, man. I want to be with you. I want to change you. I want to come into your life and make you, I want to come into your life and introduce you to who you are. For eternity. So would you lead us in that, Holy Spirit? Would you help us to see the love of Jesus? And that as crazy and as backwards as it is, the most glorious, the most VIP person in the entire universe says that the joy that lay before him is us. Wow. Bless us, Holy Spirit. Give us joy this morning, this Easter Sunday let it maybe change the trajectory of our life. We love you. Amen.